Welcome to Growing Your Financial Advisory Practice Podcast by Snap Projections, episode 61. I'm your host, Pavel Bermensky, and my goal is to interview experts to provide you with insights, strategies, and actionable tactics that you can start applying to grow your financial advisory practice today. For more information and additional content, head over to snapprojections.com slash podcast. Now, let me introduce today's guest. Today's guest is Darren Form. Darren, a senior financial advisor, CFP, CIM, earned his bachelor's degree from the University of Saskatchewan. And after a stint in the Canadian Armed Forces, settled into a career in financial services, where he has built a successful business over 20 years. Darren's scientific process-driven approach to investing, along with his breadth of experience and knowledge in wealth management and advanced financial planning, are key factors in helping his clients achieve their financial goals. To further help his clients make smart decisions about their money, he has been involved in the development and implementation of investment strategies built for high net worth families through one of the world's leading private money managers. Darren, welcome to the show. Good morning. Thank you. Super excited to have you on. So let, yeah, let's dive in. Uh, tell me a little bit about your firm. So what do you typically do and who do you typically serve? I guess our firm, so we're part of Asante, and uh, we've got a combination on our team of advisors through IROC, so Asante Capital Management, and uh, the MFDA with Asante Financial Management. We have a team of 13 in total between advisors, associates, and, uh, and support staff. In terms of what we do, I guess over time, we've found that uh, we have a suite of services that are most appropriate for owner-managed enterprises that have fairly complex um, tax and financial situations. We tend to serve clients who probably have an investable asset base of roughly a million dollars or north of that uh, as an entry point. Those folks tend to have a fairly significant net worth. They tend to be looking for a team to give them a hand navigating their way through a fairly complex set of tax and financial planning and estate planning needs relative to their business and and their family's acquired wealth. You've uh, been in business for 20 years. So how do you think about right now about uh, from the perspective of why does this business exist really for you? Why does this work matter for you? So I started in, in, in 94 and so much has changed over that time. And I've seen the business go from, you know, almost headhunting, prospecting, getting on the phone and and just trying to gather clients through to seeing a a very consultative process genuinely existing to help people navigate a complex set of situations, whether it's people are lost in the midst of what they should do from a portfolio standpoint, what kind of tax strategies. I think that we're here to help them make those decisions. We're here to give them some guidance, help them make smart decisions about their money so that they can at some point in the future, look back and, and enjoy the fruits of their labor. That's awesome. And you know, it sounds like you're actually looking at very complex situations, uh, just uh, owner-managed enterprises. I mean, things can get fairly complex. One other question before we get to it, because uh, you had a stint at Canadian Armed Forces, but uh, you know, if you're going to take me back to your early days, what actually made you become an advisor? Because I've seen a lot of folks that basically would 
not enter the industry until, let's say, they had more experience in business. Maybe they switched career after, I don't know, 10, 20 years, sometimes in the business. What sort of, what sort of gave you the foresight to be focused on, hey, this is the career for me. This is, I, I want to be in financial services. I want to be working with clients. That's interesting. It was a really uh, an unexpected turn of events over time. My undergrad is actually in criminology. I was contemplating uh, law school or law enforcement, really trying to sort out what the rest of my life might look like, which I think a lot of us have lots of question marks at 22, 23 years old. I read The Wealthy Barber and really fell in love with this concept of you know finance and saving and investing. It intrigued me. That led me in search of some additional classes in finance and economics, which ultimately had me take a look at the industry. I, I started it, at that time. It was you know small locally owned mutual fund shops, uh, getting licensed through life insurance firms, you know fairly independent suites of services that ultimately got you licensed to go out and and try to help people. So initially, it was this interest in finance. But what became really apparent to me is that I just I loved helping people. I really, really, truly enjoyed finding finding problems and making every effort to solve them. In being able to do that on a daily basis, I, that sort of I guess it turned my crank. I really enjoyed it, and uh, and that that's a lot of what I do every day right now. And you know what? I think you're super lucky to actually figure it out so quickly in your life that this is what you want to do, and uh, and you run career basically, and and um, and you can you know grow the business, grow a successful business, help a lot of people. So let's talk a little bit more about those ideal clients for you. Who you mentioned owner managed enterprises, and you're in Saskatchewan, so that maybe some farmers. Uh, you know, who are? Can you tell me a little bit more about ideal clients? Because is this a certain segment of, of uh, or, or certain size of, of the businesses that you typically like to deal with? Because, I mean, you may be dealing with somebody who is a freelancer or, or just a very successful freelancer, but, you know, one-man, two-man operation or somebody who is running, let's say, you know, 50, 100 people, small business, and that's a completely different business. So so potentially the complexities and, and, and maybe the advice that uh, you would provide is, a little, is going to be a little different. You're absolutely correct in terms of Saskatoon has a does have a diverse market. Um, whether it's in you know manufacturing, serving our our mining industries, uh, construction, etc. Early in my career, the idea of becoming niche oriented made a lot of sense to me. And on one hand, there was the business case, uh, which was very popular amongst consultants, and that was you know just dive deep, 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 and narrow, and really serve a specific group of people, and that will be beneficial from a business standpoint, revenue, economics of running your business, et cetera. That made sense. What I found very quickly, though, was when we began to work very closely with owner-managed enterprises, so a typical owner with an operating company, a holding company, maybe a family trust, um, you know, mainly closely held shares, family-owned, maybe consideration for transition, we were able to get very, very, very sharp in terms of our understanding because all of those businesses actually look a lot alike. Their PL looks a lot alike, their balance sheet looks a lot alike, their needs as owners all look a lot alike. In being able to do that, we were able to build a suite of services that we could replicate over and over and over again, building out a specialty. And in, in being able to deliver that specialty, we didn't have to divert from it. I wasn't worried about building out callers for you know, publicly owned stock CEOs or executives. I wasn't worried about as much about sorting out pension plans for people who are now retiring from large institutions. We were very focused on a specific set of problems 
that existed for the majority of our clients. And their problem is unique to them, but it's not unique to others, which meant it wasn't unique to us. That specification of what we tried to do allowed us to look around corners. So when I'm sitting down with a client and we're exploring where they're going and where the gaps are and where their headaches are, I've been where they're going with other clients. That foresight, I don't have to be predictive. I know what's coming and I can give them just a a little feel of security or some direction or our team can come in and and say, you know, we've got another business that looks a lot like you and here's what we did and here's why it worked and here, here was what the outcome looked and felt like. Being able to dive that deep and give that level of service where I'm not coming in trying to figure out, okay, it's a brand new problem and I need to to do 10 hours of research to give a a 15-minute solution, that makes me much more efficient. And I actually think that it allows us to deliver on a really high level to the folks who choose to hire us. That makes a lot of sense. So so even though those businesses could be different, they, they could be serving different type of clients, really, you're saying that you're able to, I mean, still ser- serving business owners, that's definitely specialization and, and, and clear focus, right? And those businesses, basically, even though they may have, you know, they may be different, uh, based in different industries, for example, uh, whether they're, you know, locally based or national based or international based, you're saying that um, you are able to basically design a suite of services that for you was easy to sort of to go from one business to the other because you know as you said i mean pnl i mean every business should have a pnl there is a pnl right i mean there's a set of financial statements and and the problems for the owners are pretty similar right i mean they're they're thinking about they're investing in our business probably for for most of their lives and they're thinking okay maybe selling the business right so business uh, acquisition for example selling the business maybe found the retirement okay so that makes sense let's dive into your process a little bit i'd love to know a little bit more about how do you actually break down your process? So how do you approach advising and serving clients? So for example, the moment somebody comes in the door or somebody, or there is a referral, for example, uh, that comes in, how do you take them basically from the moment when they are the prospect and all the way to the moment when you have, let's say, a paperwork so you can actually work with them, you can start implementing the plan? And over the years, that's that's been an evolution for us. And I think it's an evolution for the industry. And in light of the fact that we serve business owners, I'm also a business owner. Uh, so I want to make my business as strong as possible. And, and that's the onboarding process and, and business development. So we're always looking for the best way. But I think what we've found is that there is no best way. There's There's no detailed process that you can follow every single time. So we have a fairly generalized approach. We take a phone call from somebody that uh, has, you know, hey, Darren, I'm reaching out. Pavel's a good buddy of mine. And uh, I thought that, you know, maybe there's an opportunity for us to talk. Okay. At that point, I want to find out more about the individual that's on the phone. I want to find out what they're looking for. I want to find out who they are and what they do. Just general, just to make sure that there's a good fit. And I want them to know that I'm not just open to, you know, executing trades for somebody, for example that we have a fairly deep level of service, that it's, it's built around a very specific target. If through a quick conversation to find out, yeah, you run a business, you're, you're working in it with your kids, or you got some partners and you're experiencing some headaches and that's why you were talking to Pavel and that's why you said you should call me, let's get together. And the initial conversation is me asking questions and you talking. I wanna find out what are your headaches? What's important to you? Where are you going? How did you build your business? What do you want it to look like in the future? Who are you working with? Who are your other advisors? 
get a, an idea of what's going on in terms of your your balance sheet, your profitability, those kinds of things. So that first meeting is very exploratory. I want to understand where you're going. Hopefully through that process, you will understand who I am based on the questions I'm asking. If after that first meeting, we have a, a general agreement that we're on the same page of where we're going, then there will be a follow-up meeting, which is usually one of two things will happen. Either you'll come in with a whole bunch of information in terms of you know statements and paperwork and tax returns and things like that, org structures, or I'll get that stuff after the first meeting. Second meeting uh, is either further exploration or me just exploring with you now. Here's, you know, these, these are what you told me. These things were important to you. These are the gaps that exist in terms of where you want to be, where you want to go, some of the issues that are giving you headaches and where we think we might have solutions where we might be able to help. So after that, you're usually walking away, taking your time, go back, think about it. You might come back to me with some additional questions or you might say, you know what, Darren, I'm ready to get her going. Let's do this. And then it's just, it's signing up. It's exploring the appropriate portfolio mix and just getting things started. The actual process of wealth management is years long. So taking three or four meetings up front just to chat and talk about what the problems are and where you're going. No rush on our part, no commissions being paid. It's pretty straightforward. If, if we're going to build a, a multi-decade relationship, taking several meetings up front to know each other and make sure we're going in the right direction for both of us is really important. That's really useful. That absolutely makes sense. I mean, the lifetime value of a client is, is very high. So it definitely makes sense to invest uh, at this time in, in a series of meetings, as you said, initially. And I think, it, 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 as you said, I mean, this is a really uh, good opportunity for you to ask questions, understand the client, and also just present your expertise in a way that you just did a couple of minutes ago saying, hey, there was this, uh, maybe somebody who's similar, running a similar business. And this is the, this is the situation before. This is the situation when uh, when uh, these are some of the problems we're able to solve or this is where we where, how we were able to help this person. And that really is super powerful. I mean, that really works when you already have a successful business and and have clients uh, in the first place. So we will talk about some of, you know, some of the tips for, for people who are thinking about starting a business right now. But let's, let's leave it for later. <laughs> it's we did the, a lot of fake. Of, we did a lot of fake it till you make it <laughs> in the early years. <laughs> yeah. So this really just uh, takes us to you know the, the, the client acquisition process. So how does this really change for you over the years? I mean, initially, of course, you have to be reaching out. There's probably a lot of phone calls, and of course, I mean, technology has changed massively in the last twenty years. I mean, there's no social media platforms twenty years ago. So the world has changed dramatically. But you know, from your perspective, you know, how do you really how clients find you right now at this point uh, in your career? Is this mostly referrals, or is this uh, you know, do you execute actually separate marketing campaigns or seminars, things like that? I think in some ways, the business has changed dramatically. In some ways, it hasn't changed at all. This is still a relationship-oriented business where it's nose-to-nose. I know that we, we have so much conversation right now around social media. I'm still trying to figure out and I'm wondering how social media will impact our business. I still find that the majority of folks who reach out to us, it's not a social media oriented environment at all. I think we're, we, we need to have simple things like a website, um, blogs, et cetera, as a, almost a credibility marketing piece to show that we really exist and we've been around. If somebody's going to search who you are, you should have a presence. But that's not the lead. And in, in my experience, that's the follow-up. That's the behind the scenes. Let's just make sure this guy is real. Let's take a look at his team. Let's take a look at some of his processes before I go and meet him. 
But the initial introduction for us, at least, has nothing to do with social media at all. It's quite literally, I've got a problem and I was talking to a buddy of mine and he said, you're a good guy that might be able to solve my problem. So I think in a lot of ways, that's, that's the way it's always been. Now, when we started, it was dialing for dollars. It was Sunday night phone clinic, Monday night phone clinic, try and fill up your, your week with meetings. There's still a little bit of that, I think, for new advisors. It's act, track your activities to be able to generate meetings and business flow. Once we've been at this for a while, it's a little bit different because we're in a position to receive referrals, having done good work and continuing to do it. We don't use seminars. We don't use any marketing platforms like that. We have had the opportunity to help a couple of advisors retire through acquisition of their practices. But the majority of our new clients come from our overwhelming effort to do terrific work for people such that they want to tell other people about it. And if that's if I can spend all my day building raving fans, and I'm not even going to suggest I have any raving fans, but maybe we have a couple of fans in our clientele that think we're doing good work. And if they want to tell that story and somebody wants to reach out and have a conversation, I'm more than happy to be plan B. There's a cup of coffee and a conversation around the corner. And you know what? That makes a lot of sense. And, and, uh, and I'm really impressed how you broke this down that basically saying, hey, you know, social media presence, maybe a website, a nice website, you know, basically shows people who they're dealing with. It shows there's a certain level of professionalism that you want to portray. But this is basically, uh, for you, it sounds like it's not really a primary uh, way how you acquire clients because um, it's more, at this point, referral-driven because, I mean, you really specialize in that niche. And I, I think, you know, p- people talk to each other. I mean, we're in the midst of pandemic right now, so maybe a little less in, <laughs> uh, in person, but still people communicate. And, and, and typically, if they received, I mean, we, we're, we're seeing this uh, pattern, and I can definitely confirm that, if you really help solve a, a painful problem for somebody and you've done a tremendous job, they will have to refer you somebody else. I mean, I, I, I'm not a specialist in referral systems, but it, it, there is something really interesting about human psychology that basically they have to share this with other people. They feel compelled to do that. So just one of our questions on that, do you do anything to sort of bring up the referrals to, uh, to, uh, with your existing clients? Do you prime this at all? I mean, some, there are different systems for, for doing that. Sometimes they, you know, advisors use it, but, or this is really very organic process and you really try to focus on really doing the job for clients. And maybe, um, there isn't anything like, you know, say every six months you will, we will we'll have a conversation with a client. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I'm just curious. At the end of the day, we all want a silver bullet. We all want, you know, what's, what's the yellow brick road that will get me to that massive practice with clients who love me. And, and if I can do it different than everyone else, and if I can find the easy route, if I can, maybe I launch a wonderful Twitter account and man, everybody just wants a piece of my action. I don't think it works that way. In terms of what we do on top of hard work, on top of daily delivering, getting back to clients immediately making sure that our communication processes are up to speed, make sure, making sure that our ability to do really good work is constant. On top of that, I do think that we could be better. We've recently brought on some, some helpers into our practice that have been really helpful. And that's allowed us... Bringing on new clients is a lot of work. Onboarding clients is a lot of work, especially if they've got complex needs. And so I think in some ways it almost ebbs and flows. We go through a period where we bring on some new clients, go, okay, that was, that was a lot of work. I need a little bit of downtime now. And then probably get a little bit lazy in talking to clients about growing. And I think our clients want us to grow too. They want us to be successful, no different than we want them to be successful. 
we probably regularly have conversations uh, amongst our partners and uh, that leads out to talking to clients say okay you know we've got some we actually have some room for some new clients and if you've got anybody that's looking for services we're here to help i don't think you can manufacture referrals i i think if you're truly doing a great job, you'll get them. Having said that, it probably is important to let the people that, uh, you know, our employers, our, our, our clients are our employers, and we need to let them know that we're open for business. We want to be here to help, and we need them to know who it is that we serve. And the more specific we can be about that, the more we can help them. And hopefully that just becomes, you know, ultimately the flywheel that sort of generates continued new business in some fashion. So you busted the myth about a silver bullet. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Too bad. But uh, no, this is this makes sense. I mean, this is just another example. You know, it's it's simple, but it's not easy. It's just like eating healthy and going to the gym, exercising. Uh, I mean, it's yeah. Everybody knows how to get how to be healthy, and and uh, but it's hard to actually actually execute that, right? But I think there's one really interesting thing that you said that when you're actually thinking that or saying meeting with clients, saying, hey, we have some capacity. Let me be brought another advisor to the office to increase our capacity. We can serve more people, then you actually are also communicating who would be a good fit for you, who would be ideal client for you to them. So they know that. And I think that's one step that actually a lot of people miss in the whole process. And if you add that step, I think it's easier for the prospect to say, hey, they mentioned that they're serving those kind of clients. This is, you know, Rob, my friend, he's exactly in that, that spectrum. I think uh, I think I can make the connection here. All right. So let's talk a little about how clients typically compensate you for services, because you mentioned there's no commissions, but I think you have, well, there's MFDA, there's IROC, and that's an interesting sort of uh, situation when you have two different platforms, but usually advisors have one. How do you structure that process or how do you structure the process of really getting paid for your services? amongst the different platforms. Yeah, so really the reason for the different platforms is just, you know, we've got three partners uh, in, in general that run the office and uh, one of them is MFDA and the other two are IROC. And for the sake of going through a whole bunch of licensing at, at a point in his career, he chose not to uh, to make the transition to IROC, which really hasn't affected um, the delivery of, of his services at all. Now, in terms of compensation, we made the move a long, long time ago, about 20 years ago, to a fee-based practice environment that was well in advance of the industry. And it was made very intentionally. We thought that if we wanted to move upscale in terms of the folks that we were serving, the people that were willing to hire us, disclosure of costs was going to be a really important part of the transparency of what we delivered. We found that there were very few people back then, and even today, it's much, much, much better today. But even back then, you know, two decades ago, people had no idea how their advisor was compensated. And we'd hear things like, well, the mutual fund pays them, the bank pays them. And there was this real fuzzy concept. And how do you work with somebody when you don't understand if you're paying them or if somebody else is paying them? Are they working in your best interest? How do you disengage the services? How do I engage the services? Am I always wondering in the back of my head, are you looking out for my best interest or is your wife's birthday next week? And do you need to make some money right now to buy her a gift? So when all is said and done, we made that decision to go to an asset-based fee a long, long time ago. And it was challenging. It was super difficult. I think we still laugh about it. Our, a couple of our staff members were making more money than we were in the initial phases of that. However, now it was one of the smartest things that we ever did. And I recognize now that the industry is, for the most part, making its way there in some fashion. But we, uh, we're pretty focused on being very, very transparent on costs, 
to work with us such that clients can hopefully see the benefit. It's really simple. If you want to work with us, here's what you're going to pay us. If you want to leave, that's your call. It's your money. There's nothing to hold you in place. There's nothing to force this relationship. If you can find somebody that will deliver what we are delivering for a different cost that, that may be more appropriate for you, go for it. Yeah, there's nothing stopping that. I think that it's really important to have that kind of a relationship with a client where we are both deciding on a regular basis to work together and that the fee is reflected, the cost is reflected in, in that relationship. That's incredible. You've made this transition a long time ago. And I think you're, as, as you said, many, many years uh, or a couple of decades before most of the industry actually moved there. And, and I totally understand. I mean, the business, its uh, fee-based model works really well when you're at scale, but it's but it's it's really hard to get this going initially, right? Because it's it's painful. I mean, you don't have a lot of clients, you don't have a lot of assets and so on, but it's it's a it's a major decision for the business. And if you are one of the first ones, I mean, you are, that's another differentiator for, for your firm. So you mentioned also that as you, there is a one, one thought that even as you were thinking about uh, basically becoming, um, leaving fee-based, that, that you wanted to uh, go, typically it's called upmarket, right? Just serving high network clients. What else have you done basically to, to, to make sure that you have a good strategy in place or, or, or a good value proposition for high network clients over the years, of course, as, as how, because it's interesting. I mean, you've, you've been doing this for such a long time and it's interesting to, 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 to see this transition when you are basically starting when initially, if you don't have any clients, I mean, any, any person who wants to deal with you is a client, right? I mean, you're in it because we, you know, we need to make, uh, we need to pay, pay the bills, but, in, but later on, you want to start specializing. Of course, you want to have ideal clients. So, and you want to go, go uh, move up market because especially with fee-based model, I mean, that's no right. That's how this business works. And if you want to make your business more successful, this is what you have to do. So what else, after this long-winded question, what else <laughs> have uh, you done or how you approached uh, thinking about what those high network clients want? What's the primary value for this segment and how we can serve them best or best than anybody else? You know, I've got a couple of thoughts on that. A, I don't think that we, for what it's worth, I don't think that the only way to make money in this business is serving high net worth clients. I think that there are opportunities in building a service model and a fee model that suits smaller portfolios, just lots of them. I think that, that, that there are opportunities that way. Now, I think it's dangerous for anybody to come into the business and, and say, okay, this is the route that I have to follow without first exploring who I am as an advisor. What wakes me up in the morning? What gets me excited? What will make me want to come into the office? And if it's dealing with a, you know, a bunch of owner-managed businesses that I have no interest in, it won't matter how much money you're making, you won't feel a level of personal success. So you know, I think the, the very first thing for young advisors is to sort out, who am I? Who do I want to serve? And how do I want to change the world for the, for the group of people that I'm serving? If you can start there, then it's going to work. Now, circling that all the way back, I run a business. And I get excited about running my business. I get excited about, you know, our own marketing strategies, our own HR and our direction and all of our planning, which makes it very easy for me to get excited to work with other people who run businesses like we do. And I think that's a big part of our success is, you know, we see ourselves as business owners serving business owners. It's not a big transition, I guess, in terms of our daily linguistics, our conversations, the language that we use with our clients. In terms of what have we built to serve those people specifically, it's a bit of a, a horse and cart issue in that you can't build the platform until you understand the needs of those you wish to serve. So early on in my career, uh, I went through an interesting process. I did, did a 
bucket load of research interviews. I did a close to a hundred research interviews, just called business owners and sat down with them and said, what do you need? What's going on? And it wasn't sale. It wasn't, I wasn't there to sell. It was there to learn. It led to uh, an article that I wrote for uh, CA magazine on transition of owner managed enterprises. But what it also did is it gave me an understanding of what the needs were for the people that I wanted to serve. Now, all of a sudden I had an idea of what the platform needed to look like. So if I can understand what they're looking for, I can try to build a service model to provide that to them. It took forever. It took a ton of work. And I think, you know, we recently hired a tax and estate planning specialist to join our team. And we are, I've been, so I've been at this for 26 years. We are finally getting to the point where I really feel like we are delivering the services that I've wanted to build from day one. But it takes a long time to do that. So that's a long-winded answer to, if you want to serve somebody, you have to know what they're looking for. And you have to be able to get paid to do it. Sounds like you've built a business in a very methodical, step-by-step, systematized way. So tell me, what, what do you think? I mean, you've, you've been doing this for a long time. You're very successful. If you're going to isolate, uh, let's make it more challenging for you. Let's, <laughs> let's, if you were going to isolate this to maybe three things that were the most important for you in building your practice to this point, what were the most critical, the most important three things that uh, ended up in, in making sure that... Um, ensuring that this business is successful. What made you successful? I think that somewhere near the top is serendipity, some luck on a regular basis, you know, just people being willing to help out. That that has to be in the top three. I'd like to think that hard work has played a role in that. Wanting to, when, when you own a business, you live and breathe it 24-7. It never goes away. You're thinking about work on the weekends. So there's a hard work, a desire to really grind it out uh, has to be a part of that. And I feel that we've done that. We've, we've put in the work and because we've enjoyed it. So serendipity and, and uh, so, so call it luck and hard work. People, people, people absolutely have a wonderful team that we work with. Um, that probably fits into the luck. I don't know how we ended up with some of the, the people that uh, choose to work with us. And amazing clients, amazing clients that have been willing to hire us even in the early days, people who are willing to hire us when we we're a little younger and greener with less gray hair and continuing on to continue to hire us, uh, continue to employ us to do good work on their behalf. So it would be luck, hard work, and people. So after so much time in the industry, what do you think is right now especially commonly misunderstood when it comes to wealth management, especially high network clients, wealth management? What people, either prospects or industry publications, what typically people get you know, wrong and what are some of the some of the big, biggest misconceptions that you think are still out there? Yeah, let me get on my soapbox for a minute. Um, I absolutely think that, that somehow the media, our general population for the most part assumes that wealth management is picking stocks. What should I buy? What should I sell? Man, it couldn't be further from the truth. Building a portfolio of of securities, uh, you know, properly diversified, uh, globally balanced. Yeah, that's a really important piece. But that's not wealth management. That investment management piece is is one leg of a really important structure that holds up the table of success. And I think that we have somehow tried to boil down wealth management into nine questions on an app that will build the portfolio by which you will retire successfully to the tune of all of your dreams. 
And that's not the way that the world works. Not for most people anyway. I think that particularly now, I'll narrow it into the folks that we tend to serve, those with complex needs, tax planning, retirement projections, uh, independence uh, reviews, financial independence reviews, estate planning. Those are super, super critical. Now, back that off to regular people. It's not as important, but it's still important. I don't think that anybody can go through their life simply picking stocks and bonds and have a successful retirement without consideration for proper estate planning, proper risk management reviews in terms of insurance needs, proper analysis of how much should I be saving? When should I be looking at retiring? Those pieces are all important. And somehow we've, we've taken this industry and we've narrowed it down as if it's a, a daily trend of what should I buy? What should I sell? I want to watch the Dow. I want to watch you know, the S&P. I want to know what's going on in the TSX, what's going on in Europe. And if I can know that, I'm going to have success. I don't think so. I don't think it's that clear. So let's spend a little bit of time talking about new advisors. Uh, if somebody's brave enough to think about joining this industry today, <laughs> you mentioned that, uh, and this is actually quite interesting. So you mentioned that there, there is definitely different ways to be successful and build a successful, and by, by being successful, I mean building a successful business in, in, in the financial services here in Canada. So for example, you know, high net worth segment, I mean, of course, that's just one of the most coveted aspects, um, but definitely serving a lot of smaller clients and that could be successful. Uh, you know, that could work for some people. What what would be your tips uh, when? Uh, and it could be you know either from you know how to structure the business or how to learn about the business. And, and really, why? How would you start? Let's say you don't have anything today, and you are starting from zero today. How would you start in this industry? I believe that the industry has changed a lot from what it once was, particularly when you know there were commissions and and there were ways to get paid early on it's a little bit tougher now i have two sons 20 and 18 and their friends are in that space right now where they're trying to figure it out so i get this question a lot from some of uh, some of these young guys going to university i think right now if i was starting out i'd be looking through my community of advisors looking for people who were seeking to build a team I think that there's value in having the educational requirements today are significantly higher than what they once were. And I love that. I think that there's a, a real lifting of the professionalism of our industry, which is super healthy. I'm a big, big, big fan. That has made it a little bit more difficult, uh, I think, for entry into the industry. But for those who choose to follow a career path where they've, you know, they've got an undergrad, maybe a, you know, some post-grad work, whatever it might be, that leads them into finance, uh, whether it's tax or you know, even legal or, or financial background, I would want to look for an existing advisor that I could probably try to do some work with. I suspect, and from what I understand, talking to some of my buddies, cold calling still works. I don't know the industry stats on how well that would work. I'm not sure that that's a way that I'd want to kick off my career today. I think if I had a valuable set of skills, I would probably be searching the various firms and looking for some older advisors that are you know, in need of help. I would probably even be tempted to volunteer my services for a little while to look for a good fit. I'd want to go out and explore that. I think sometimes kids want to get paid right away. I don't think it's a bad thing to uh, maybe save up some cash and spend six months uh, you know, just trolling some different firms, talking to some different people to find out where your fit, your value might uh, be most, uh, most appreciated. So I think that the investment industry is starting to look more and more in this regard, like accounting 
and to a certain extent, the legal world where you come in as an associate, you know, grind it out, do some good work. Hopefully you've got some business development skills. Hopefully you've got some client management skills. Hopefully you've got some background skills that you can bring to a practice and work yourself into a place where you're actually managing assets, um, you know, giving advice, directing, maybe it's smaller clients, maybe it's kids of, of larger clients uh, on behalf of a, a team of existing advisors. If it was me, that's, that would be the way that I would want to come into the business today. I think that's a great piece of advice. It's, uh, you know, if you're young, if you don't have experience, makes yourself a useful component of, of a larger advisor firm. Like, be careful who you pick to work with, of course, and make sure that you're aligned with in terms of values and and uh, the clients and everything else that's important to you. But I think it's uh, majorly de-risking the process of starting a business from ground zero. I mean, of course, some people will probably be raving up and and and, and launch uh, from ground zero. But the thing is, I think this industry is a little different. I think there's, uh, I mean, trust is a huge component, and if you are starting uh, from zero, if you don't have any experience, I mean, it's, it's going to be harder to, you know, to compete with any other firms. I mean, there's just, it's, it's, it's almost impossible. Just one question about um, the, the business model of serving a lot of clients, for example, because the thing is, there are, of course, uh, stats on that ideal number of clients for advisors, you know, around 100, maybe 120. There's the uh, studies done by numbers, of course, uh, that indicate that it's hard for you to serve or have in your basically to be able to adjust to, to serving uh, more than you know, 125 relationships at the same time. What would need to happen, for example, if uh, somebody would want to serve a broader number of, or larger number of clients, let's say, I don't know, 300, 500, 1,000 clients as a one advisor, what would need to happen for that model to be successful? Would it be just a you know, particular service, let's say, retirement planning or just financial planning, health investment management, for example? Uh, how would you structure that business? It's a hard question, I know, and uh, but it's, it's kind of an interesting one for me. I think it is interesting on an industry level, though, because I know folks who run family offices that serve three clients folks who run really high net worth practices that serve 25 clients, you know, through to what would probably be a, a, a normal high net worth practice, maybe looking after 100 clients. So there's a lot of ways to achieve success based on your own definition of it too. I think that's really, really important if you're starting out is to figure out what, what you're looking for. Now, let's, let's take a look at, at the model that says I can serve 100 clients. That model is based on time and revenue assumptions that may not be appropriate for all level of clients. So if you're looking to serve young doctors, if you're looking to serve new families to Canada, if you're looking to serve young working women, I don't know, whatever that niche might be, what's the level of engagement required? And what is the fee required in a competitive space to do the work? I think we've come a long way. I, I, I'm a big, big, big fan of robo-advice. I, I love it. I, I think that it filled a gap for people who were interested in, in, in answering nine questions and just having somebody look after their, their money for a segment of the population. I think it's a wonderful solution. There is a massive segment of the population that that just doesn't quite cut it for. And if that's 250, 35-year-olds that are young executives getting started that have $250,000 each, whatever that you know might look like. And if you can find a compensation model at 100 basis points or 150 basis points or 125 basis points or whatever that might be, let's say it's 100. At 100 basis points, and I need to make sure that I can meet with you face-to-face -face once a year, I'm going to meet with you, you know, on the phone 
twice a year and I'm going to communicate with you via email at least four times a year. And my revenue model and my service model and your needs all align. And if I can be compensated to a level that I'm comfortable with to deliver that service and I enjoy it in the morning, when I come in and I'm looking forward to doing work with you and I'm looking forward to going home at the end of the day, that strikes me as a pretty good business model. Makes sense. And I really like the response, right? Because I asked you, I asked you for a specific answer, but you actually said or communicated how you should be thinking about it and, and what are some of the different parameters that, are, that you basically essentially need to put in a very simple Excel model and say, hey, does this really make sense? You know, because if does the revenue uh, meet, uh, you know, the, the revenue target that I need to basically stay in business, right? These are some of the important questions that we need to run first, even on the back of the napkin before starting a business. So I think that's really useful. And I think it's a really great piece, piece of advice because just you have to make sure that this model is going to be working. You have basically a price point, number of people, and, and it's a very simple equation to solve. And, and and if you see that, hey, this actually is the price point that uh, this market is willing to pay for the services and they are, my service model can actually meet their expectations and, and, and we can deliver. So uh, let's say at the, at the you know, top of their expectations, so potentially we can get referrals even later on and the revenue is attractive, then go launch the business or at least try it out. I think that may work. I think sometimes we are guilty of being the cobbler and the cobbler's children. And, you know, you hear a lot of advisors will say things like, you know, gosh, my my clients spend more time planning their next vacation than they do their own retirement. (laughs) Take a peek in a mirror. We are there too. Shouldn't we spend that time and energy sorting out our business so that it it feeds us what we feel that our most important needs are? I think that we all have to keep that front and center in our minds. Well, that's a great advice for people who are actually running a business because sometimes they run this uh, very simple Excel uh, model initially when they start a business, but they don't look at it for 10 years or or 20 years. (laughs) That's perfect. So thank you for that advice. And our question here as we're uh, close to wrapping up, I always like to ask, what are some of the projects that you're most excited in your business right now? What's happening over the next uh, six, 12 months? What what are you excited about? What... uh, I know you like to thinking, you know, thinking about your business and systematizing and thinking about projects. You know, is there anything uh, particularly exciting for you over the next uh, little while? Yeah, absolutely. The and it's probably the same thing that frustrates me the most right now. I believe that if you can if you can measure it, you can improve it. And the tools with which we are now able to operate our business are amazing. They're complex and they're, they're hard to get sorted out around our business. But we have a, a lot of metrics um, going forward for, I think, operating our business, for planning our clients, snap projections, all these really cool, interesting technological tools that have really become prominent in the last couple of years. It's really, really hit big in the last number of years. And trying to sort out which tools to use for which situations without having 15 tools because like you can become a tech junkie and all of a sudden it's okay hang on i'm spending all my time where it shouldn't be but at the same time recognizing that there is a lot of technology available to us today to improve what we deliver to improve how we deliver it to improve how we measure it to improve our profitability on how we deliver it so i'm frustrated by the time it takes to sort these things out frustrated by the time that it takes to you know just get into one tool that you might use for inter-office communication only to find out that there's a new one that popped out that might or might not be better but at the same time I'm just I'm super excited about the various tools that we can use to improve first and foremost what we do for clients snap projections for example or other tools that we can use to be more efficient in how we run our business 
that stuff gets me pretty excited. It's pretty cool. And I'm looking forward to implementing more and more going forward and continuing to improve, continuing to uh, hopefully build an infrastructure to stay ahead of the game. I'm glad you mentioned that frustration and opportunity at the same time, because I think the number of tools that uh, is being created right now every single day, every single year is, is growing exponentially. We know that. I mean, these are the stats. There's more SaaS tools, for example. So, But there's an opportunity. I mean, you can have conversations, for example, over Zoom right now uh, or, or over other tools, and it's basically feeling like you're pretty much in the same space, in the same same meeting uh, room. And and I mean, five years ago, that was not the case. It's it's incredible. It's uh, and, and think about, you know, cost efficiencies, for example, or cost savings or efficiencies that come with that. So that's uh, that's fantastic. But I totally understand. It's uh, also a pain point for us just trying to figure out the different systems and, and, and really migrating them from, you know, one from one and the other and so on. So it's uh, you got to hope for picking the best ones first <laughs> so you don't have to migrate later. Okay, Darren, this, so this podcast is all about growing your practice. I already asked for a lot of wisdom, but do you have any parting words of wisdom for the listeners? If we're just going to focus on one thing, what would that be? Well, I guess it's, it's funny. This again, being a, being a parent and, and and being in business, sometimes the advice for your family, your friends, your your employees, your partners is all the same. If you if you can build great habits, you'll build a great life. All said and done, that's it. Great advice. So, Darren, if anyone wants to get a hold of you, maybe talk a little bit more about uh, wealth management. Maybe ask you a specific question. Uh, I know you've uh, uh, you're known for giving back and and uh, and helping other people, whether it's industry or clients, of course. Uh, how would they do that? What's the best way to reach you right now? Our website uh, has, uh, which would be asantefirstavenue.com. My email address, dform at asante.com. Uh, either one of those would, uh, I'd be more than happy if somebody actually had a genuine question. I'm more than happy to help out. Wonderful. So thank you very much. Darren, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much for coming to the show and sharing all the wisdom. Thanks, Pavel. Really appreciate your time. Have a wonderful day. That's it for this episode. If you enjoyed it, I would really appreciate if you left us a great review in iTunes because that helps us get discovered. And if you want to get in touch with us, please email podcast at snapprojections.com. Thanks, and I'll talk to you next time.